Take your Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 9, if you will. John chapter 9. We have words like sickness and disease and deformity and death. And since the fall of man, since sin entered into the world, these problems are reality with, a part, with, with life, sickness, disease, deformity, death. Something that I've learned in, uh, as the Old Testament talks about sickness and disease and deformity and death. And, it, and the Bible speaks all throughout the Old Testament about these realities in the 39 books of the Old Testament. Listen to this. In the 39 books of the Old Testament, sickness and disease and deformity and death, it's mentioned throughout those books. Six times in those 39 books do we read of a healing taking place. Naaman was healed in 1 Kings. Hezekiah was healed in 2 Kings. And then back in Numbers chapter 21, the Israelites were healed from snake bites. In addition to those three healings, there were three resurrections uh, being raised from the dead. And we'll talk more about that tonight. But listen to me. In the 39 books of the Old Testament, thousands of years of history, we have six reported healings in the Old Testament. But the prophets say in the Old Testament... When Messiah comes, the blind will see, the lame will walk, and the lepers will be cleansed. So 39 books in the Old Testament, only six healings, but there's this promise that when Messiah comes, he's going to do a lot of healings. And, and then we read, when Jesus showed up, he did just that. Matthew 12, 15, the Bible says, large crowds followed him, and he healed them all. What that means is, is every disease known, Jesus was healing. As a matter of fact, if there would have been hospitals in the region of Galilee when Jesus was going about his earthly ministry, they probably had to lay off staff because Jesus was healing people throughout the region of Galilee. The miraculous healings of Jesus were proof that he was the Messiah, the promised Savior. Remember, 39 books of the Old Testament, only six reported healings in the Old Testament. But the prophets say over and over, when Messiah comes, there will be healings. Now, many among the Jewish people, they had determined in their minds, yes, it's true, when Messiah comes, he will do miracles, miraculous healings. He'll do that, but also, <coughs> he'll really be a military Messiah. And so when Jesus comes and, and he didn't meet their image of a military Messiah, they were disappointed. I say all that to tell you, uh, to, to give you a background for the text that we're going to move into today in John chapter 9. Today we're going to continue with the miracles of Jesus that are recorded in John. We're going to actually skip the fifth miracle, uh, which is attached to the fourth miracle where Jesus walked on water. 
I've already preached on that on a Sunday night recently. And, uh, and Brother Clay has mentioned it several times on Wednesday night. So we're going to skip over that miracle. And we're going to go straight to John chapter 9, the sixth miracle reported by John, where he healed the blind man. Now, we understand in the Gospel of John, the word miracle is not used. Instead, it's the word signs, S-I-G-N-S. It's kind of like when you see a, a red sign that's kind of, you know, that you know, shape. You know what I'm talking about. When you see that sign, it doesn't have to say anything on it. You know it has a message. It means you need to stop ahead. Are you with me? And so what we've learned in the Gospel of John, in these studies that we've done, these signs, these miracles were pointing to a message. And John chapter 9 fits that pattern. There's a miracle and there's a message. But here's what i got to tell you. There's so much truth and there's so many nuggets to mine out of John chapter 9 that it's going to take today and next week and possibly the next week to work our way through it. This morning really is an introduction to the miracle and I want you to see it with me. So here's the setting. The Jewish leaders are seeing all these miracles take place. Now the Bible says in the Old Testament that proof that he was Messiah, is that he's doing all these miracles. But remember, they wanted a military Messiah. Well, he's doing all these miracles, but he's not meeting the expectation of the military Messiah. And so what, what the Jewish people were doing is they decided this man is not the Messiah, but he does have a demon. And so John 8, 59, the last verse in John chapter 8, it says, so they picked up stones to throw at Jesus, but Jesus was hidden. He couldn't, they couldn't get to him, and he went out of the temple. So here's the picture as we get ready to look at our passage of Scripture. All right, Jesus has, I mean, the folks are agitated inside the temple. They've got stones picked up. They're ready to, they're, they're, they're ready to stone him to death. Okay? Jesus leaves the temple. Now... Are they chasing him? Are they pursuing him outside the temple? The Bible doesn't tell us, but human nature is, is once you get so mad that you're ready to pick up a stone to throw somebody, if you can get them, you're going to chase them. Hello? Now, we don't know that for a fact, but I don't think we're guessing or we're going too far out on a limb saying that it's possible that they're chasing him outside of the temple. Okay? That's our context. The crowd is stirred up inside. They're ready to kill Jesus. Jesus is going outside the temple. Are they chasing him or not? We don't know. But that's our context for John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. Would you stand and honor the reading of God's word? As he was passing by, again, leaving the temple... As he was passing by, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is night. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, 
and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, He's the one. Others were saying, Nah, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. And then, so they asked him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received my sight. Where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand the introduction to this miracle. Lord, help us not to just hear a familiar story and to walk away unaffected, unchanged. But Lord, help us to hear the truth. And Lord, may it change the way we look at our life and the situations we face. <coughs> Lord, I'm asking you to speak to our hearts I'm asking you, Lord, to cure blindness today. And I'm asking you to increase as I decrease. I'm asking you, Lord, to take my words and our thoughts and, Lord, take it all and make it pleasing to you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Now, I want to show you three things, but remember the context. Jesus has riled the people up in the temple. They think he's demonic, and so they're ready to stone him to death. Jesus leaves the temple. He's going outside of the temple. Are people pursuing him? We don't know, but we know that Jesus is leaving. And, and I want to show you three things, and then I want to share with you three truths. But the first thing I want to show you is the pause. The pause. Verse 1. As Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now we read that, and if you don't have the context, you think, okay, Jesus is just walking around, strolling along on an ordinary day. No, Jesus had just left a very difficult, a very stressful situation. It's very possible that people are following him outside the temple. Either way, he knows that it's not time for all of that to take place, and so he's leaving, but... There's a pause that takes place. We don't see it in the English translation, but the word here for he saw is, is the Greek word horao, and it, it literally means to perceive. It means to pay attention to. It means to pause. And possibly with people in pursuit, Jesus paused. He noticed and he interacted with this man. Now, there's two things about this man that are pretty obvious. First of all, we see that he was blind. But there's something else that we see about him in verse 8. It says his neighbors, those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? So we know two things about this man. We know that he was blind and we know that he was a beggar. That's really all that a blind person could do in the culture in Jesus' day. Remember where this man was located day in and day out. Chapter 8 tells us that Jesus was in the temple. Chapter 9 says Jesus is on his way. On his way where? On his way outside the temple. And we find this man has located himself outside the temple. When you read the Bible, you find it's not uncommon for people with disabilities, people with disease, people with deformities... 
people that are dying, we see them positioned outside the temple. We have this here in John chapter 9 with a blind man. We find in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple and a lame man stops them as they're going in. Now here's what I want you to see. These people who had disabilities, these people had deformities, diseases, dying, the only thing that they could do was position themselves where the most people were going. And in Jerusalem, the temple was the place that attracted the most people. So they're there and they're begging. That's all that they could do. I don't want you to overlook this pause by Jesus. Because listen to me. Jesus never overlooked a person in need. This was important. Jesus even told a parable about it. Do you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? Do you remember there was a man who was in need? He had been robbed. He had been beaten. He's laying there on the side of the road and, 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 and a priest walks by. And Jesus in his parable, he says the priest walked to the other side of the road to pass him by. A Levite walks by. A Levite was a very religious person involved in the worship in the temple. Instead of going and he passes by on the other side of the road. And then an old sorry good for nothing Samaritan. Which was the mindset of the Jewish people in that time. It was an old sorry good for nothing Samaritan. That paused along his way. And he helped this man. You see... The point of this parable and the point of Jesus' pause in John chapter 9. And hear me this morning. We look a lot like Jesus when we pause and notice and try to meet the needs of people around us. Are you with me? But it's uncomfortable, isn't it? And we have in our mind, yeah, they're probably playing the system. Or no, that'd be dangerous to pause and help. But... But I'm telling you, there's people all around us who have needs. And we never look more like Jesus than when we're willing to pause and inquire and assist when able those that are in need. And I'm not talking about just money. But I'm telling you, there's people out here that in the world around us that have great needs. Great needs. Some are material, but some are emotional, some are spiritual. And you're never more like Jesus than when you pause and notice the needs of others. Are you with me this morning? Three things I want to show you. First, the pause. Second, I want you to notice the problem. Verse 2. Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Now listen to me. They're looking for a cause for this man's blindness. And that was the thinking of, of the Jewish religion in this day. Something had to have caused every disease. Something had to have caused every disability. Something had had to cause every deformity. There had to have been a cause, something or someone to blame. And the cause is always sin. That's the mindset of the Jewish religion. So the question is, is who or what caused this blindness? And it was more of a who than a what. Because 
They said, was it his personal sin? Now, we know that this man was blind from birth. Did the disciples know that at the time? We're not sure. But the thought was, with sickness, disease, deformity, uh, death, it's all a result of personal sin. But this man, we know, was blind from birth. So we're looking for a cause here. What caused this problem? And was it personal sin? So we can rule that out because he was blind from birth, right? So we rule that out. And so, okay, well, if it's not personal sin, it's got to be parental sin. Again, it's the belief of many then, and it's the belief of many today, and it's an incorrect view of Scripture that I hope we can clear up today. But people say, have you ever heard this? The sins of a father are passed on to their children. And the application would be is that my sin, Trey and Emily, will have to pay for my sin. And and, and people will claim a passage of scripture justifying that position. And their passage is within the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5. We know Exodus 25, do not bow and worship to them, talking about idols, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's iniquity to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And people read that and they say, well, the Bible says in the Ten Commandments that God punishes children for their father's sins. But what we're talking about here, the word fathers, is attached to the word generations. And here's how it works. I was a kid in 1973. But there was a generation of leaders who saw Roe versus Wade put into play that said denying instant access to abortion was unconstitutional. And my generations and other generations are paying the price for that generation's decision back in 1973. Just this past week, my generation of leaders in New York sat and applauded when a bill was put into place allowing abortion all the way through the ninth month, all the way up to actual delivery. And and my generation signed that bill into place and so my kids and future generations will suffer because of that decision. Do, do you see how it works? The sins of the fathers have an impact on the later generations that come. That's Exodus 20 verse 5. The mindset in Jesus' day though was, no, this, this, this man is suffering because of his parents' sin and, and, and because it, there's got to be a cause to this. I want to clear it up even more. Look in, the, if you will, uh, you look on the screen, just jot down in your Bibles, uh, uh, Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. Listen to this, it can't be any clearer. The word of the Lord came to me, What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. You will no longer use this proverb in Israel because it was being used incorrectly. Look, every life belongs to me. 
The life of the Father is like the life of the Son. Both belong to me. The person who sins is the one who will die. Now down to verse 20. The person who sins is the one who will die. A son won't suffer punishment for the father's iniquity. And a father won't suffer punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous person will be on him. And the wickedness of the wicked person will be on him. You see, Jesus' disciples were asking, What's the cause of this blindness? What's the cause of this Disease. What's the cause of what's going on here? There's got to be a cause. And if it's not his personal sin, what about parental sin? And, and I'm just telling you that, that God does not punish a child for the parent's sin. He doesn't do it. Now, there may be consequences that follow. Because sin always has consequences and there's always collateral damage with sin. Innocent people are impacted by sin. But God does not punish children for the sin of the parents. In John chapter 9, the disciples are asking, is there a cause? Who is to blame for this man's condition? And notice what Jesus said in verse 3. Watch this now. Neither this man nor his parents Sinned, Jesus answered. Watch this. This came about. What's he talking about? Talking about his blindness. His blindness from birth. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. Verse 1. Don't miss the pause of Jesus. Verse 2. There's a problem. The disciples are looking for a cause here. What caused this? Verse 3, I want you to notice the purpose. What Jesus says here is, you're looking for a cause, a verb. You're looking for something or someone to blame. You're, you're looking for a verb, but, but what you need to see is not a cause as in someone to blame, but a cause Someone to believe in. A cause. Not a verb. A noun. A cause. Something or someone to believe in. This man's blindness from birth, Jesus says, was not God's punishment. This man's blindness from birth, listen to me, was a part of God's plan. Now you hear that and you say, now wait a minute preacher. Are you saying then? Are you saying then that God made this man blind on purpose? Are you saying, preacher, that in the mother's womb, that when you were knitting this kid together in his mother's womb, are you telling me that when you knit him, you intentionally created him to be blind? Yeah. I am. It's, it's what the Bible says. And some people read that and they don't like that because that doesn't sound like a loving God. But, but we're going to see God, God does things purposefully. He doesn't make mistakes. Hello? He did it on purpose. He did it for a purpose. He said this came about, verse 3, this came about so that God's works might be displayed in Him. Hear me this morning. Sickness, 
disease, deformity, death. It can be a consequence of sin. It can be a consequence. It can be the result of a parent's sin. Think about it. Kids are born today with drug addictions, right? So that can be a consequence. But that cannot be an all-inclusive conclusion that every person who has a disease, a deformity, a disability and is dying is a result of the sin of that person or parents. You cannot form that conclusion from Scripture. Think about it. I know a lot of ungodly, sinful infidels that are out there that are in tip-top shape physically. Don't you? And I also know a lot of God-loving people who have had to deal with sickness and disease and disability and deformity and death. Morgan Hasty had cancer. What's the cause of all of that? Did Morgan sin and was cancer her punishment? No. Did David and Mitzi sin? Was, was her cancer part of their punishment? And the, the answer is no. See, instead of looking for a cause, I'm going to tell you the Hasties found a cause to believe in. Are you with me? They found a cause to believe in. You see, when Morgan got sick, when Morgan got sick, God's works were on full display. Hello? God's got a purpose. Was it painful? Absolutely. Was it purposeful? Absolutely. My buddy Mike Devine. Did y'all see Mike and Donna back here? My buddy Mike Devine. Mike's got an extra chromosome. Did God make a mistake when he did that? Or was he intentional in what he did? God was intentional. Are, are we looking for a cause, somebody to blame for Mike Devine? Or are we looking at a cause, someone to believe in, who blessed this world with a man with an extra chromosome? See, if you're always looking for a cause, someone to blame, you're going to be a miserable individual. But if you look towards a cause, someone to believe in, you can understand that he has a purpose in all things. God is sovereign. Do you believe that? When we say God is sovereign, what we mean is, is God is overall. We mean that God is never caught off guard. We mean that God is never taken by surprise. Do you believe God is sovereign? So if you believe that God is sovereign, then you can quit looking all the time for a cause, someone to blame, and why don't you embrace His cause and believe in Him? 
Romans 8, 28. We know. We don't debate. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. We know that God is sovereign. I've heard my friend David Hasty say on more than one occasion, knowing that there's a God in heaven who's in charge, who has a plan and a purpose for what we've gone through with Morgan. That really is the only thing that makes sense out of all of it. I'm telling you, folks, this can change your perception on everything when you embrace a cause. I want to ask you, is there anybody in this room, is there anybody in this room that knows Mike Devine that would change one thing about him? Absolutely not. God bless this world with Mike Divine. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. Verse 4. We, Jesus talking to his disciples. Now understand now, he's talking like this, saying, quit looking for a cause, someone to blame. Change your thought pattern and just embrace this cause. Where God might even create someone intentionally blind so that his works can be on full display. Now, now when you start preaching like that, the crowds are not going to grow. The crowds are going to dwindle. And that's what's taking place. Jesus is not talking to the multitudes now. Jesus is talking with his disciples. And he says in verse 4, We, Jesus and his disciples... We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. See, Jesus' disciples didn't know it, but the cross was on the horizon. Within just a few months, Jesus would die on the cross, paying the price for our sins. He would be buried, and on the third day, God would raise him back to life. But, but Jesus is saying, hey, let's end this debate about what caused all of this, and let's get involved with the cause that this is all about. God sent me. He sent me with a purpose. Night is coming. Right now, while it's day, let's get to work. And by the way, I'm the light for the day. What's the work to be done? What's the cause to become a part of? Well, it's the kingdom. That's what it's all about in John. It's, it's Jesus has come and, and he's the promised Messiah. And he's going to usher in his kingdom. And there'll be no kingdom without the cross. And the cross is going to be a dark time. But right now it's day. And let's go and prepare this world for the cross. Well, I want to tell you, the cross has come. And it was a dark time. The Bible says when Jesus died on the cross, it was midday. But everything went dark. But I'm going to tell you, it might have stayed dark Friday. And it might have stayed dark Sunday. But I'll tell, or Saturday, but I'll tell you on Sunday, it got light again. 
It got light again because Jesus is alive. And I'm telling you, we've got a part to play in the gospel story. The night is coming. Darkness is coming again. The Bible says when Jesus comes again, that it's going to be a great and a dreadful day. It's going to be a great day for those who know us. It's going to be a dreadful day, a dark day for those who don't. So I'm telling you, friends, you've got loved ones. You've got co-workers. You've got people even that you hate that darkness is coming. And we've got the light. Jesus says, I'm the light. And we got to quit sitting around debating on all kind of stuff about the causes of this and causes of that. And we need to embrace a cause that's bigger. And a cause that's eternal. And a cause that's about the kingdom. I told you all this was the introduction. We, we hadn't even really started in with the miracle yet, have we? But we're going to stop here for now. Because I believe we got some clear instruction from the Lord. And there's three truths I want to leave you with this morning. Three truths, they're simple. But oh my, if we were to embrace them, they'll change our lives. They'll change our outlooks. Truth number one. God is sovereign over my situations, both good and bad. Do you believe that? Do you have a God who gets caught off guard? Do you have a God who's taken by surprise? Do you have a God who throws his hands up and says, Oh, what do we do now? We got a God that's sovereign over every situation in our life. And, and, and look, this is truth. Whether you believe it or not, it's true. But if you'll embrace this truth, it'll change your life. Because I'm going to tell you, good things are going to happen to you. I sound like Joel Osteen, don't I? Good things are going to happen to you. And I'm telling you, if you follow Jesus, good things are going to happen to you. And when they do, God's works are on display. But what you might not hear from that fella is this. Bad things are going to happen to you too. And when bad things happen to you, guess what? God's works are still on display. By the way, if you claim Jesus as Lord and Savior... More people are going to be looking not when you're in the good times, but when you're in the bad times. You see, because, because they want to know, does Jesus really make a difference? And when they see Jesus really does make a difference, even in the bad times, God's works are on display. Are you with me this morning? Three truths. Number one. God is sovereign over my situations, both good and bad. Truth number two. The Lord is sensitive to my needs, whether I realize them or not. Jesus paused that day. And he paused and he had an interaction and in this conversation with a blind man. Now I want you to just imagine waking up that day as that man. We know that this man was a grown man. We know that he was a blind man. We know that he was a beggar. We know that he had been blind from birth. And we're guessing that he probably had been a beggar for quite a period of time. We know that he was, he was astute enough as a beggar to be able to position himself 
where you can get the most money, which would be as people are working their way into the temple. We also know from history that beggars were often treated like that man who was robbed and beaten and stripped naked that the priest and the Levite passed by. So here's what we can imagine that guy as he woke up that morning. My guess is, as he woke up that morning to the same darkness that he woke up to the day before. My guess is, is that he had the same goal as he did the day before. That goal was to make it to the proper place so that he could get enough money to survive, hopefully return back home without being beaten and robbed and left to die. That's some kind of existence, isn't it? But the Bible says that on that day, possibly with people pursuing him, but we don't know that. But on that day, Jesus paused. Jesus paused. And he interacted with this man. And Jesus knew that blindness was his problem. But as we continue with this miracle, we're going to see that it wasn't just physical blindness, but there was also spiritual blindness. Now you tell me, did Jesus come to heal that man's spiritual blindness so that he could die and spend eternity in hell? Or did Jesus come to heal his physical blindness so that when he died, he'd spend eternity in heaven? I don't believe that man had a thought about meeting his Savior that day. But he did. The Lord is sensitive to my needs whether I realize it or not. For some here today, you can see clearly, physically, but you're blind as a bat spiritually. You don't have a purpose in your life. There's not a greater cause in your life. And so you really are a lot like this man. You just wake up each day in blindness. Hoping that you can just go through the motions one more time. And live to see another day. I wonder is it possible. Is it possible today. That as our Lord has been in our presence, is it possible that he started talking to you in your heart? Because that's what he does. So three truths this morning. Number one, the Lord is sovereign over my situations, both good and bad. Number two, the Lord is sensitive to my needs, whether I realize them or not. But I want you to hear number three. The Lord has selected me. He has selected you to work with Him in His cause. And I'm going to tell you, that's exciting to me. It's exciting to me that God has chosen to include us in this cause. 
But let me tell you what's even more exciting. It's exciting to me to think about the future of the church. Now hear me out. Hear me out. Okay. We talked earlier about generations. Let me tell you what I understand about my generation. My generation likes to be a part of a group, but just don't expect anything out of me. That's my generation. I'm not proud of the attitude of my generation, but that's my generation, and many of you fit in that description. But that's what our generation, just let us be part of a group, but don't expect anything out of us. And the church resembles that attitude. But let me tell you about millennials. Millennials are our young adults right now. Studies show everywhere. Millennials are less interested in being part of a crowd that does nothing. They want to be part of a cause that they believe in. Is there a greater cause than the kingdom of God? Is there a greater calling than being His witnesses and making disciples? Is there a greater cause? So what I'm excited about is, is God is raising up a generation of people who want a cause to believe in. And I believe that's part of the message inside this miracle. Is that God has called us. While it's still daytime, he wants us to be a part of his work. So here we go. I want to invite you to some very specific things this morning. First of all, first of all, whatever got you into this building today, the bottom line is, is you're here. And if the Lord is speaking to your heart about your salvation, about whether or not you're right with Him, I want to challenge you and I want to ask you, move while it's daytime because nighttime is coming. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to manipulate you. But I'm telling you, nighttime is coming. That's number one. Number two is this. Do you have a cause? I'm talking to Christians. Church members. Do you have a cause? Or are you just looking for a cause? Someone or something to blame. Or do you have a cause that's bigger than you? Do you? Because if you got a cause, listen to this, play on words. If you got a cause, you'll be looking for opportunities to pause and invest in the lives of others. Some of my brothers and sisters here in, in Christ here today, 
you've just been going through the motions. You're saved. But it's all about you. I'm telling you, that's not the attitude of Jesus. And I invite you to embrace his cause. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that your word's not confusing, but your word is clear. I thank you, Father, that you're sovereign, working good things and horrible things together for good if we love you and if we've answered your call. Lord, I've got friends and acquaintances here in this room who are dealing with some junk. Lord, I pray that you use that junk for your glory. I pray for that one that you may be speaking to right now. That you'll give them the courage to respond to your call. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. Thank you for being sensitive to our needs, whether we realize it or not. In Jesus' name, amen.